Hello, this is David, and you are listening to a recording of the sermon that I preached uh, yesterday. Sadly, the, uh, the recording didn't work, and so you are receiving take two that I'm recording in my kitchen. It may differ slightly from yesterday, so if you heard the message on Sunday and are listening to this now, there may be something new here. I'm going to pray and, and then we'll get stuck in. Father, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. Uh, thank you, God, that you've spoken to us and that you speak gracious words to us for our good, that you expose sin in our hearts and reveal your love and grace and forgiveness to us. I really pray, God, that um, for everyone listening uh, and for myself, that these truths, uh, that we are great sinners, but that you are a great and gracious and forgiving Father, um, would be uh, more real to us. Help us to listen to you, uh, to have receptive hearts, and show us, God, how we are um, lost, either like the younger son or the older son. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, we are in Luke 15, and we're going to be focusing on uh, the parable, what is uh, famously called the parable of the prodigal son, which uh, it may uh, say in your Bible. Um, So, it's Luke 15, and we're going to be looking at uh, verse, uh, from verse 11 to 32, but I'm going to read the whole of the chapter, just to get it in context. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, 
and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look! These many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now that's our passage, but before I start, let me just ask you a question. And that is, when you think of the world, and think of all the people in the world, do you think of... Bad guys and good guys. Do you think of bad guys and good guys? And then if you do, who are the bad guys and who are the good guys? What do they look like? Now ask yourself... What about you? In today's passage, Jesus wants to clarify who the bad guys are. 
let's, the first thing we need to do is we need to uh, look at this um, parable, starting in verse 11, in context. Uh, look with me in verse, uh, verse 1, chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So the whole context for what's happening uh, in this um, portion of Luke is that Luke is describing a, a, a situation where, where Jesus is probably teaching, and tax collectors and sinners, that's the first group, are drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes are also there, and they are grumbling about Jesus, uh, specifically what Jesus is doing. Jesus is receiving and sinners and eating with them. And that's the context that triggers uh, these three little parables of Jesus. And why that matters is because the, the parable that we're going to look at about the man with two sons is spoken by Jesus because he wants to say something to both of these groups. He has both of these groups in mind and he wants to say something to both of them. Now, just to understand these two groups a little bit better, uh, on the one hand we have the tax collectors and sinners, and on the other hand we have the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, broadly speaking, uh, as far as the Pharisees were concerned, we could probably describe these two groups as, on the one hand, all those, those who break all the rules, and on the other hand, those who keep all the rules. The sinners are those who indulge their desires, and the Pharisees are those who resist those sinful desires. The sinners are those who uh, do whatever they like, and the Pharisees are those who do what is right. Now, into that context, Jesus tells this parable. The first thing he does is he starts off by saying there was a man. You'll see that at the top of this section, if you've got a Bible like mine, it says the parable of the prodigal son. Well, actually, it's not just a parable about a prodigal son. Uh, it's a parable about two sons, and it's mainly about a man. It's mainly about the father, as we will see. And it's about the way that this father relates to his two sons. And about two ways that these sons uh, relate to him. So, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them, this is verse 12, said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, Jesus has started off by telling this story to these two groups and describing the younger son 
he's aiming to describe the tax, the life of the tax collectors and sinners. The two sons correspond to the two groups, and the younger son corresponds to the tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus is, he starts out here, and he's he's about to embark on painting a picture of of this awful life uh, that this younger son lives. And the first thing the younger son does is he says to his father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. The younger son is saying, I want to rule my life. I don't want to live under your rule. I want my share of my property. And then I'm going to go away to a far country. So that I'm away from you. I'm away from your rule. And I get to call the shots with what I do with my stuff. (coughs) The second thing uh, we can notice here is that he is in a far country. And uh, this uh, in scripture to go away from the land of Israel, for example, was a, a negative thing. And so for the younger son to go away to a far country is, is, uh, is highlighting the distance that the sinners, the, those people who are breaking all the rules, all the moral rules of God, the distance that there is between them and God. The next thing he does is he squanders his property in reckless living. He's now indulging in the flesh. He's living a life that says, pleasure is supreme and I will spend all my resources on what feels good. Now, look at verse 14. The next thing is that when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Now, famine in Scripture, again, this is a negative thing uh, when Jesus is describing this. Um, uh, to have a, to, uh, for the history of Israel, when a famine would come, that would be a sign of God's curse uh, upon the land. This is a point, uh, Jesus is making this point to show that to, to highlight, emphasise uh, the sinfulness of, of sin, the sinfulness of breaking the rules of God. It's something that incurs God's wrath. And, and, and the Pharisees, at this point, as they are listening, are saying, Amen to this story. They've picked up that this younger son is, uh, uh, is representing the the tax collectors and the sinners, and they're thinking, yep, that is exactly what uh, sounds right. God's wrath is upon this young son. And he began to be in need. And so the next thing in verse 15 is that the younger son, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. Now, Jesus could have stopped his story earlier. He's not because he wants to... He wants to describe uh, this situation, and he wants the Pharisees to feel it. Being hired out to a citizen of another country is again not a good thing. Looking back again at the history of Israel, it was the 
to, to be under the oppression of the other nations was again a sign of God's curse. It, was, it would have been a blessing when, when uh, Israel was the head and the nations were the tail. But when Israel was the tail and the nations were the head, that was because God had handed them over to the nations because of their sin. So that this young son is now subject to a foreign um, uh, citizen is a shameful thing. He is clearly outside of God's uh, will and he is breaking God's laws. Now, the next thing is he gets sent into the field to feed the pigs. And verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. This is the cherry on the cake. As you probably know, Jews don't eat pigs. And so to have this, uh, to, to be describing this son in this way is to be painting this tragic picture uh, of sin. This younger son now is completely uh, broke. He's in, he's in a pigsty. He's feeding the pigs and he wants to eat the pig's food. Now, what is Jesus doing? Jesus, in this story uh, so far, uh, to which the Pharisees are, are right on board with what he's saying, has been describing the physical, but he's been talking about the spiritual. You see, not everybody that lives... Uh, I say this with... Uh, there's nuance here... Um, at least it won't look like this. Not everybody that uh, makes their own rules uh, overtly throws off the law of God will end up feeding the pigs. We read many times in scripture that uh, the psalmist cry out, why do the wicked prosper? Because that's the way it looks sometimes. So it's not the case that everybody's going to end up in the pigs. But Jesus is describing the spiritual reality. The physical is meant to teach us, is meant to warn us here about the spiritual. And that happens uh, even now. A life of promiscuity gets us into trouble, and those physical problems are meant to be le uh, warning us of our spiritual problem. And so Jesus' description of the younger son is, is, is an attempt to, uh, to show uh, the spiritual poverty that the sinners are in. And it's, a, and it's a good word for us because a life that is rebellious against God is always going to lead to pain. Sooner or later, somehow, it's going to lead to pain. And there is a warning there for us uh, in the midst who might be listening here. There's a warning for a range of us. There's a warning for the young person who is looking out at the people who are uh, their school friends who are partying and they're thinking, here I am at church, I'm keeping the rules, they look like they're having fun, 
I wish I was doing that. There's a warning here to say, don't be so fooled. The end of that road is a pigsty. In some way, the end of that road is a pigsty. And if you don't see it now, spiritually that's what it is. And when you die, that is when, the pig, that is when they will truly experience the pigsty. Or it is for the... Um, it is for the single, perhaps, in our midst, who, is, uh, who has been waiting, who has been being a good boy or girl, and is pondering the possibility of uh, indulging the flesh. I just, I just want to indulge the flesh. I want uh, a boy or a girl, and... I'm, I'm tired of being the good girl or the good boy. Uh, I'm 30, I'm mid-30s now, I'm early 40s now, and I'm still waiting. And I'm just going to do what I want and uh, make my life move forward. Don't do it. Or there is the older one among us or the married among us, who entertains the thought of, what if I just went away and did what I wanted to do? What if I just entertain a thought of a fling on the side? Temptation doesn't leave us as we get older. Those desires are there. Now, Another thing to notice about Jesus' description here of the younger son is that he's realistic about sin. Now that's a good thing for us. It's good that Jesus is realistic about sin. Jesus lives in the real world and Jesus is not trying to um, uh, skirt around the real issue of the destructive nature of sin. Sin is destructive and sin is uh, bad. You see... Sometimes people end up uh, saying of Jesus, picking up a passage like this perhaps, and saying, look, Jesus receives sinners and eats with them, and then uses that as a way to endorse their own sin. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. As you see in, uh, in the first two little sections about the lost coin and the lost sheep, Jesus doesn't say, uh, I, I tell you, uh, this is 15 verse 7, so I tell you, uh, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner and stop there. He says there's over one sinner who repents. It is more sin, more joy over, uh, there is uh, verse 10, just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, Jesus says uh, in Luke, uh, Jesus has already said in Luke uh, earlier on, uh, a woe to you, Chorazin. Because you did not repent. Now, there are some of us here listening for whom we know that this is what we've done. We have obviously, openly, we know it, we've, we've, said, we've said no to God's rules, We've said no to God's so-called moral uh, standard that uh, some Christian or somebody has put on us. 
we've said, I'm going to live my, I'm going to make my own rules, I'm going to indulge my flesh, I'm going to say yes to pleasure when it arrives, I'm going to spend my life um, for my own ends, and I'm going to live it away from God. Um, and we know that that's us, and we've found ourselves in a pigsty. If that's you, the next step is potentially great news for you. Because Jesus is being real about sin with the tax collectors and sinners who are before him because he wants to lead them to something. And the first thing he wants to lead them to is he wants to lead them to repentance. And that's what we see in the younger son in the next part of the story. In verse 17. But when the younger son came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? That's the first step of repentance. It's coming to your senses and recognising the state that you're in. Then he says, verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's the second thing about repentance that we can learn from here. Repentance, true repentance, is not just recognising that my actions are hurting me, but recognising that my actions are hurting others. I have sinned against you, my father. And that your actions, your sinful actions, are an offence to God. I have sinned against heaven. That is true repentance. It's not just about, sin is not just damaging you, it's hurting others and is an offence to God. And And then the next thing, finally, he says in verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is, the, this is the approach of repentance. Repentance, Christianity, is, not, is about coming to the Father empty-handed. It's not about coming to the Father saying, I've got a little bit of entitlement, I've done pretty well, and um, please reward the good that I've done with, um, with the blessing of eternal life. That's not how Christianity works. Christianity works on a basis of free grace. It's a basis of, it's, it's saying, I have no entitlement. I have completely squandered all your goodness. All, your, all the things that you've given to me, I've spent them for the wrong ends. All the, all the strength you've given me, I've used it for the wrong ends. All the gifts that you've given me in my life, the talents, the abilities, I've used them for the wrong ends. And I now have no entitlement before you. Have mercy on me and receive me, not because of anything I have. So the son repents and he turns and he goes back to his father and this is what Jesus wants. This is the second thing that Jesus wants these tax collectors and sinners or those of us in our midst here today or who are listening online who um, uh, who feel this way and feel that, yes, that's me, and I want to come back to God. Look at the picture. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. Now, this is the picture that I really want us to see here. The picture that we see now. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
while he was still a long way off, before he could say anything good or bad, the Father has compassion on him. The Father then runs at him. Do you feel sinful? Do you feel dirty? Like you've been in, like your deeds that you've done make you feel like you, 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 you've come out of a pigsty. Spiritually you stink and you feel it and you know you're not worthy. The Father runs at you. Look at the love of the Father. Look at the love that he has for you. This is what Jesus wants to say to the tax collectors and the sinners. He wants to say that the accusation that the, the Pharisees had about me, that I receive sinners, yes, that's what I do. I receive sinners because I love, I love sinners. So repent and come. And the son starts to get his speech out, but the father interrupts him. It's almost as though the father stops him before he even gets the speech out. Look at verse 21. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even get to say the next part of the speech, but the father says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. This is my son, he's saying. Where's all the discussion about, hey, what did you do with all my money? Hey, you totally squandered what I gave to you. you we need to sit down and talk. There's no talk about that in the text. The son is forgiven. The father is embracing him and giving him dignity, just not just like a son, but he is his son. My son, he says, was dead and is alive. He was lost. And they began to celebrate. Get the fattened calf and let's celebrate You see, he puts the robe on him, he puts the ring on him, he takes him, he's a son, he's forgiven, and there's no talk about the debt. The The father has taken it upon himself. This story doesn't describe to us the mechanics of how the forgiveness of the father works. We learn that in other places, because here Jesus wants them to see the heart of the father, longing to embrace the repentant sinner who comes home. But the story doesn't stop there. And this is what I really want us to see. The story doesn't stop there. Jesus could have left it there, but he didn't, because he wants to say something to the Pharisees in the midst as well. And because he knows that the thing that triggered this whole thing was exactly that. Was exactly that Jesus is receiving and eating with sinners. And he want, But what Jesus wants to do now is he wants to speak to the Pharisees. He wants to expose the heart of the Pharisees. And he wants to show them, through this picture of grace, what their hearts are like. You see, the Pharisees have stopped amening right now. They're not not as into the story now as they were at the beginning. Let's look at what the older son, how Jesus describes the older son. Now, Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. 
verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Now, why is the why is the older son so angry? The, I think the reason is because grace has has exposed and undermined his whole project. Grace has undermined his project. If you could get for free what he's worked for, then why did he work for it? Now, what do I mean? He exposes his project because, look what it says next. The son answers the father, verse 29, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might come and have a meal with you and enjoy your company. No, that's not what it says, is it? It says, that I might celebrate with my friends. You see, it's exposed the heart of the older son, because he hasn't been working for his father out of love for his father. He's been working for his father out of what he might be able to get from his father. You see, the older son is just as uh, rebellious as the younger son, but he's just doing it in a different way. It's not the father that he wants, it's still the father's stuff that he wants. You see, he even says, uh, verse 29, uh, Look, these many years I have served you. There's a, it comes out that it hasn't, been, it hasn't been love for you that I've been working for you. I've been slaving for you, he says. Next he says, and look how you're treating your son, verse 30. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The older, brothers, the older son is saying to his father, your judgments are all wrong. You don't know how to manage all this property and stuff. Look at what he even says says to his father. That that grace has so enraged him, he even says to his father, this son of yours, he doesn't even speak to the son as though he's his, his brother, this son of yours. And what has he done? He's devoured your property with prostitutes. How does the older brother know that? Could it be the case that he knows about that because that's exactly what he might have been wanting to do? And isn't this how it pops up in our own hearts sometimes? Look at all those, you, you, you said, look at all those people just living their lives, partying, you know, this is what you, um, uh, we, you know, look at them just partying all the time, just, just out partying, having such a fun time, you know. Look at these, look at this older couple, look at them just spending their retirement, just totally relaxing, just like piano cruises all the time, you know, um, not serving the Lord, are they? Look at that new car, look how they spend, they go on holidays all the time, I can't believe they, it's just totally indulging the flesh. So 
So what is Jesus doing here with this older brother? What he's doing with this older brother as we come towards a close is he's exposing that the older brother's heart and hence the Pharisee's heart is just as in need of grace as the younger brother, as the younger son. And it's not because the older son has broken all the rules. It's because the older son has kept all the rules, but for completely the wrong reasons. He's kept all the rules for his own ends. He is just as lost as the younger son. He is just as far from the father as the younger son. But he's just doing it a different way. He's keeping all the rules so that he can get leverage over his dad. So that he can get what he really wants. Which is not to live with his dad, but to enjoy all of his dad's stuff. He's angry at his younger brother because his younger brother has caused him to have less stuff now. And now he's angry at his dad because he's, he's, he's spending even more on, his younger, on this younger brother. And, ha- and he hasn't been getting what he has wanted. You see, the, the older brother has not loved the father. And the Pharisees have not loved God. They've kept the rules, but not out of love. They've kept the rules, but not out of love. And how does this cash out in our lives? Perhaps it's because we find ourselves at church, because it's probably the right thing to do, but not because we really love to gather with the people of God and sing God's praises. And maybe this pops up in our hearts when we leave thinking, the sermon didn't really do it for me today. Well, the music wasn't really up to scratch, was it? So it wasn't really that good today. It wasn't really worth coming. I'm not really sure who's going to be there today, so I'm not really sure if I'll go. Or perhaps it comes up in our prayer lives. We pray because we ought to, not because we love speaking to our Father. And perhaps it's exposed in our lives when we don't see the results in prayer that we wanted. We weren't talking to God because we loved talking to God. We were talking to God because we were hoping to get the results that we wanted. Or perhaps it comes up in our serving others. We're not serving others because we genuinely love others and love our Lord and want to serve him. We, uh, we, serve, him, we serve because that's what we ought to do. And it gets exposed when we don't get the praise or no one notices what we've done. And we, and we see, oh... Well, I won't do that anymore. Or perhaps we just work really hard. We work, we work on our career, and we don't do that because we want to honour God with our lives and do good with our hands and serve others and help society. And then we find that we get angry because someone else gets promoted and our lives don't actually look that good. We're not getting the salary we wanted. We're not achieving the results that we wanted. Maybe this is some of the ways that this cashes out in our lives, where we are, where, where it looks like we're doing the right things, but our hearts are just as far from God as the younger brother, because we're not doing them out of love for God and fellowship with God, but we're doing them for some other end that we really want. Jesus wants to say to the Pharisees in his midst, and he wants to say to you today, 
That is just as sinful. You need the good news that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them in exactly the same way as the younger brother. Now, final word. At the start, we uh, sorry. Before I say this, just to say, um, no. As we end here, that notice that the older brother is left outside in the story because it's an invitation. It's an invitation to come in. It's an invitation for those who are like the older brother and it's an invitation for those who are like the younger brother to come in and receive the Father's love. Look at Jesus. Jesus' cutting words toward the Pharisees were not just to say to them, hey, you guys are awful. Sucked into you guys and let me point out how bad you you are. No. The father in the story goes out of the party to get the son, to the older brother, to, to encourage him, come into the party. And Jesus is telling this story in their midst for exactly the same reason. Jesus doesn't only have venom for the Pharisee. Jesus loves the Pharisees just like he loves the sinners. And that's the same here in, the, in, the, in our midst today. And Jesus wants, you, wants us all to see that we are sinners in need of grace. You see, I asked the question at the beginning, do you break up the world into bad guys and good guys? That's not the way the world is broken up. The world, the world is, has got two camps. In the one hand, there are sinners... And on the other hand, there are forgiven sinners. There are sinners, and there are forgiven sinners. And that's, their, that's all that there is in the world. So let's respond to this story and to what God is wanting to say to us by coming in to the Father's feast and enjoying relationship with the Father. By acknowledging our sin, by repenting of it, by owning it and by coming to God with no entitlement to uh, receive his, the embrace of the Father, the forgiveness and embrace of the Father who uh, receives sinners.